time being 503, I call to order the April 13th Special School Committee meeting. Meetings are recorded by Franklin TV and shown on Comcast Channel 11 and Verizon Channel 29, as well as recorded by Franklin Matters. Any individual who also wishes to record this meeting must notify the chair in accordance with Massachusetts General Law, Chapter 38, Section 20F. So I'd just like to start by thanking everyone for being here, whether in person or watching from home. One of the main responsibilities of any school committee is, is the hiring and evaluation of the superintendent. We recognize this is a tremendous responsibility and impacts the district as a whole. A reminder for everyone, though these interviews are public, there will not be an opportunity for public comments or questions. I also want to thank everyone who attended the April 7th meet and greet sessions with Mr. Jagir and for your thoughts, concerns, and questions raised during that time. I hope you also took the time to fill out the survey that was emailed to you. So just a quick recap. Uh, the school committee, after consulting with the Massachusetts Association of School Committees and reviewing a range of options, the full school committee chose to unanim unanimously move the process forward to a final interview with Assistant Superintendent Lucas Jagir. Mr. Jagir, most of us here at the table are aware of the work you do in the district currently, but tonight we would like to get to know you a little better. So we have a total of 14 questions, so that's two from each school committee member. At the halfway mark, I figure I'll do a quick time check to make sure we're following schedule, as I know we have a hard stop due to town council at seven. So being mindful of the time, Mr. Jagir, I would love to give you an opportunity an opportunity to provide your educational and professional background and what led you to apply for this position. Great. Thank you very much. And um, to the folks at We Televised, it's at home, so yes. I just want to thank those tuning in and I want to thank everyone who um, showed up in support um, tonight or to, to hear what I have to say and why I'm interested. And um, I recognize that we've worked together for um, um, some time to, since you've been elected or from the previous um, committee, but I think it's important to explain who I am why I want this position and uh, my experiences that have led me to this part. So um, I just would begin by just talking about my leadership story. I think it predates my time leading in education and it started um, right out of high school when I joined the United States Marine Corps. Um, I did that out of a sense of wanting to belong to something greater than myself and just a commitment to a deep sense of purpose that um, when you commit to something bigger than yourself so you can have tremendous impact um, through those experiences in the military, um, I really learned a lot about leadership and um, I, I grew and developed in ways that really helped me. And uh, after I got out of the Marines or during that time, I started to study and I found my way to education. And I feel like every teacher is a leader of their classroom in many ways and, and respects. So there was some translation there and um, I took that opportunity to learn more. Um, I experienced my own educational disruption. Um, when September 11th happened, I was completing um, school and um, was uh, mobilized in support of Operation Enduring Freedom. Upon return, I had to finish my student teaching. And at that point, I had moved back to this area. And I had an opportunity to work, uh, do my student teaching. And then I was hired as a one-to-one -one aide. And I bring that up because that experience allowed me to support a student and travel through a school day, um, seeing five different teachers educate this student in five different ways with different strengths 
and ways in which they supported to meet the students' needs. And I think it gave me great perspective of the student experience, literally traveling every day for a semester. It was the, one of the greatest educational opportunities I had. Um, from there, um, I worked with that student and felt like there were opportunities to uh, engage beyond just the classroom. So um, with, with the parent support, I volunteered to work with that student um, to join the wrestling team. And uh, that student was just, just thrived in that environment. I bring that up because um, I just saw a tremendous opportunity for, for kids. And I thought, wow, this is what education's about. Mm -hmm. To go through a day and feel cared for by the people who are teaching you. And then extend your day and be with um, other students who share in a, in a shared experience uh, and, and are working towards a common cause was just what, what it was about. And I fell in love with that idea. Um, at midway through the year, the coach had to leave, and because I was the adult showing up every night, I was appointed as the coach. A little side note, but um, I, did, I had never wrestled, and I had never coached wrestling, but I did my best uh, in that role just to keep the program going. I wasn't hired back after that season, but I don't know if I should share that in an interview. But at any rate, um, the opportunity came in Franklin. A brand-new middle school was opening up called Annie Sullivan. And I interviewed for that position and was hired as a sixth grade teacher. Um, carrying the perspective I mentioned, um, to, to be able to teach and educate in a new school where we charted our own course, we had to really develop our own mission, vision, and values. Um, and it certainly was from the ground up. It wasn't, um, wasn't just because of a compliance exercise or something we had to submit, but we needed it to guide the work. And, I, I learned so much. There's so many great educators there that I learned from to kind of develop that, that skill of teaching. The opportunity to move into a leadership role, I was able to draw on my, my previous experiences through the, the coaching opportunity, but certainly from the Marines. And um, I was an interim assistant principal. And I think about that experience now and moving from a colleague to the teachers in that school to becoming an assistant principal, I felt such support. And um, I think every teacher there just handled my leadership. You know, there's always growing pains as you kind of grow and you test um, the, the skills that you have to do the, do the best you can for kids and for families and for teachers. And they, they certainly supported me through that development. I, I think it helped me to grow and take risks and, and really try to move things in ways. And I felt like there was trust there that helped me. Uh, after that experience, an opportunity at Franklin High opened up, and I had conversations about that and really wanted to kind of move in that, that direction and see what, what it would be like for to continue that secondary ed experience and leading, and I was um, fortunate to be hired as the assistant principal at Franklin High School, and um, it's, a, it's a different style of management. Um, one thing I benefited from in the middle school is I had the staff that I worked with in the high school. I didn't know all the staff, but I certainly had the support of at least a third of the kids because they had traveled through the middle school. And any teacher knows when you see kids that have moved on from your elementary school later on in life, they, they see you and it's a usually pretty positive experience. So I think I benefited from the grace of the students in that particular example. Um, that experience really helped me to just develop my range of how to manage kids, and you handle kids differently at different developmental levels, but from sixth grade teaching to six through eight, um, at being an administrator, and then nine through 12 certainly broadened my, my um, perspective and experiences. 
the opportunity to lead a building um, was certainly something I was interested to do. And um, the, one of the neighboring communities had uh, an opening for principalship. And I had applied and, and moved on and um, was fortunate to be selected as the, the next principal of that school. Um, during my time there, I had relied in my leadership career on relationships in a way that I had developed them and people either knew of me or had worked directly with me and I leaned on that. When I went to another community, it allowed me, it really slowed me down to, to really establish new relationships with people. And I feel like that particular experience really developed skills that I had not, I knew I needed to develop. Um, I feel like one of my strengths is building relationships, but certainly um, it allowed me to do that and lead and meet people and figure out what the why and why we're doing what we're doing and, and not make assumptions. And uh, we did some phenomenal work there at that high school, um, really de developed a, um, through the help I had a supportive superintendent who really helped to allow me to, to, to grow with the staff and, and move in certain directions. We developed a, a flexible schedule block for our high school. Um, we implemented financial literacy starting in eighth grade. We were able to really revamp the program of studies and add um, multiple um, components to kind of build out that, that particular program. So that was great. And um, I'm proud of the work that we did during that time. After that, uh, an opportunity to return to Franklin um, had become available. And um, I had done a lot of hard thinking. We were uh, doing some phenomenal work. And the opportunity to return to Franklin, where I had spent um, the majority of my career, um, approximately 15 years, was really something where I feel I call Franklin home. On a personal level, I'm raising children in this community, um, and I really saw an opportunity to come and lead and continue the work that I started, but having left, I think I developed other skills that positioned me well to come back and try to lead that work. So I felt I was fortunate enough to, to be hired back as assistant superintendent, and I've been here for the last four years. So why I do this, um, I just would hit on, I wake up every morning and I think about the sunrises I bring my own kids to school um, often and drop them off in the line and I see kids get out of cars, I see kids get out of buses and vans and enter our schools. And students of all um, varying um, ability, socioeconomic background, um, some have um, tremendous advantage, some have challenges, some have trauma. Um, we have students who, you know, I met with a family um, a few weeks ago who um, fled conflict in Afghanistan and are, and are raising children in our town. And I also have a, a, a parent who is a multi-generational Franklinite who's been here and whose parents and grandparents and great, they all come to Franklin to be educated and get uh, equal access to a, a phenomenal education that our teachers and our principals and our staff provide. And the only requirement is that they call Franklin home. And I think that's tremendous power that we have to do right by kids, and it motivates me every day. And I will say, you know, passion, I mentioned this in the faculty um, forum that I had around passion and purpose. And at times, passion can be hard when things get hard. And I think when that happens for me, I think about something I had a gunnery sergeant tell me at one time was around truly trying to lean into purpose why we do this. So for those reasons, I think that's what gets me through. And I think that builds resilience. And you know, I try to model that um, when I can with um, folks close to me as well. So 
I'll stop there, but I want to thank you all for this opportunity, and um, it's not lost on me the tremendous responsibility a superintendent has, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to meet today to discuss my candidacy. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, okay, so we're going to go down the line. Camille, if you would like to start. Sure. First, I'd like to thank you as a fellow veteran for your service, and I would like service. to admit, although my father, mother, four brothers would kill me, I was in the Army, and we all tease each other, but the Marines, you all are, you're top-notch. <laughs> thank you for your service. Thanks. What are three major challenges facing Franklin, and how will you approach them? So, great question. Um, I think the, the challenges ahead of us, I think about, there's probably three, there's multiple areas, and I think we have to prioritize which ones we have. Um, the first one that comes to mind, I think about are the mental and behavioral health of the students in town, and how are we um, continuing to support kids in, in, in a variety of ways. Um, I'll talk a little bit later probably about my goals um, regarding our rollout of some of the goals that we've started with um, the multi-tiered systems of support and how that ties in with not only the academics but the behavioral pieces. Um, but I think we have kids who, you know, I, who have lived in our community and gone through school um, through the pandemic. And I don't think that the pandemic is the sole reason for the mental health of our kids, but it certainly um, played an impact. And as we continue to move forward, we have to look at ways on how we can support kids. We've recognized and seen behavior that um, it's clear that we need to take a step back and not make assumptions that the eighth graders who are walking the halls today received the same amount of feedback over the last two years that eighth graders might have four years ago. So without assuming that, how can we start to work backwards and help support all kids in, in a variety of areas, but certainly around um, expectations and, and learning how to, how to interact with one another. I think we also have um, some budget concerns that we need to think about. When I think about our current situation, you know, our town brings in roughly three to three and a half million in um, revenue um, from tax. And I think about typically schools get between 1.7, 1.8 um, of that money. Um, and when I think about the 2.5% that we spend, that goes very quickly when you think about tuition and you think about um, transportation and salaries, it goes quick. So um, right now, we're advantaged through, as you've heard, and we've all sat through many of the same meetings, but for the sake, we're advantaged by some of the relief funding available to us, but I think that will come to an end, and we've um, been discussing that at different school committees. So I think that's an area um, that we will have to navigate and confront um, in future years. And um, just hearing the support of the school committee and how we'll navigate that, I think the role of the superintendent is to put forward plans that discuss, you know, how we, how we spend money, right? Um, disclose that and be transparent about that. How we also invest in um, programming for our kids is a huge piece of it. And ultimately provide um, information to the school committee and lead through the budget development process. Another area, um, I'm a member, I'm sitting on the Space Needs Subcommittee, not as a member, but certainly a participant. Th those have just started, but I think that's another challenge and area that we need to, f we need to confront and look at. Um, and I say that, I also wonder about opportunity through that, and I think that's come up in a few conversations, but certainly looking at our enrollment, looking at the space we currently have, um, looking at, um, we had a conversation last night about um, other options that are out there related to space and needs and the age of our schools 
and the condition of our school. So those are just three areas that I think will need to be uh, continued discussion. There needs to be continued discussion and, and be planful and thoughtful about um, how each of those areas moves forward. Thank you. You're welcome. We'll build off of uh, the, the budget concern. So FY25 mm -hmm. poses significant financial concerns to our community. Uh, there are anticipated expense increases within the town's budget. And as you alluded to, the school department will no longer have access to ESSER funding mm -hmm. to supplement its own budget. What will you do over the next two years to avoid significant budget cuts in FY25, such as a teacher layoff? Right. So I th another good question. Um, my response to that is, one, obviously, as we um, evaluate our budget, the first um, thing we need to really look at is, are we able to support um, the current programs and systems we have in place? Um, we are at a point where we need to be reevaluating all of our systems as we come out of the pandemic um, and looking at how we're supporting kids and in what ways, structurally, you know, who's... who's um, who do we have in our organization and how are they supporting kids across levels? Um, I think about you know one thing that's come up before, uh, looking at our numbers and looking at the size of our classes and um, looking at our enrollment projections will play um, a role in that as well. Making sure that we have adequate staff to support all of our kids and all of our classrooms. We've also talked about support services. Um, the, the needs of our students are increasing. So the tighter our systems are around um, those areas, and I think about our tier one instruction. I think about tier one from a behavioral standpoint as well around setting some of those expectations and educating kids. We start to tighten up um, those particular pieces. Um, nobody wants to be in a situation where they have to lay off teachers or, put, or have to notify teachers that it's a potential um, like we had a few years ago um, and then be in a situation where you're rescinding that and having them come back. Uh, I think being fiscally responsible over the next three years and paying close attention so that we can try to avoid um, further further cuts would be important. But I also want to just recognize, you know, there is a there's a funding component to this as well. There's a funding issue that we must face, and I say that honestly because I live in town as well. I pay taxes here and and all of that. But I think um, we. The, the role of the superintendent is to make sure that our programs are high quality, we're supporting our students, we're um, efficient, and we're fiscal stewards of the money that we do have, and continuing to look at that and how we spend our money, um, I think positions us much better um, when people see kind of how we're framing and, and, and supporting kids in a variety of ways, and it's very clear on the outcomes. Um, and I think that comes down to planning as well, um, which I, I'm, I don't want to get ahead of um, myself, but I think being clear with our plans would be, uh, and having a very clear strategy, mm -hmm. it's going to be really important. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Lucas. Appreciate you coming here and sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, so my question is, um, what aspects of the superintendent role will be the most challenging for you, and how will you close those gaps? Great question. Um, I'm fortunate, I'll just say I'm, I'm fortunate, part of the draw of this position is coming to work with the team of people we have in our district. Really strong, strong people. Um, an area that I haven't led is from a superintendent seat would be the budget development process. I've sat through 
um, the budget development process as uh, a principal, as an assistant superintendent, but to lead through that. And I think that's an iterative process, and we're clear on kind of how that rolls out, and each town has a very similar timeline for how they move that. But that will be an area that I'll need to continue to grow. Um, I plan to close those gaps. We're very fortunate to have a business manager who's very strong within our town, um, but certainly I led the budget review process um, through a zero-based budgeting model um, as a principal, um, and it's a smaller um, version of that process, but certainly there are other considerations when you start thinking about a superintendency. So I, I, I'm I feel advantaged being the assistant superintendent and having some of the um, information and, and living and sitting through the meetings um, that would um, help in a transition, um, but certainly that would be an area that I would want to um, continue to, to grow in. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Lucas, for uh, taking the time to be with us here. We really appreciate it. Um, my question is, what is the accomplishment that has been made in the district during your time here that you're most proud of, and what is the most important area of growth that you believe needs to be addressed in the coming years? I think I'm most proud of the work um, we've done with our social-emotional learning um, back from 2018. We assembled a district-wide committee, stakeholders from all schools, administrators from all schools, and look for ways to try to um, continue the great work that had occurred before I, I returned. But certainly what we did is we were able to develop a shared understanding of what social-emotional learning is across our schools. I think that benefited us when we um, had the shutdown mm -hmm. because we had already laid the foundation for a lot of that work. Um, we use the Castle Competencies, which is a research-based framework of basically relationship skills, social awareness, self-awareness, self-management, and responsible decision-making. So kind of those five tenets, we had gone through a competency of the month where the whole district committed to that. You may remember seeing that. Um, we pushed out information to families. The try-to challenge might have come across your, um, your emails at one point but certainly trying to develop our strategies. And the way we rolled that out was, one, to explicitly teach some of these skills, right, um, explicitly. But then also we prepared and trained teachers on how to infuse these into lessons. So if you're a teacher, an English teacher, and you're looking at your writing prompt, it might already be there. A lot of teachers discovered that this is really just me just realigning my thinking because I've already put a writing prompt out about um, a chapter of a book that they're reading, but I'm already asking some questions that cause reflection for a kid to think about self-reflecting. Um, self mm -hmm. So that work and the team, I, I would, I'm speaking to it now in this interview, but it was certainly a team goal that I think we're all proud of. Uh, for, for accomplishing, and I think it positioned as well as we went into the pandemic, and teachers provided some of those lessons and really built connection, and it was already an operationally defined idea, um, and uh, a lot of work went into building those resources. So that's um, one area that I would speak to that I'm, I'm proud of, of the work we did. Was there a second piece to that question? Um, and what is the most important area of growth that you believe needs to be addressed in the coming years? I think an area that we want to continue to focus on. As you know, our district improvement plan um, is a multi-year strategy. We uh, last updated it. It was 2018 to 2022, which is the date. We're due for um, a review. I think the goals, um, there's some real merit to continuing goals that address social emotional well-being right, of our students and staff. I think there's uh, a goal around um, engaging in rigor rigorous curriculum, right? Mm -hmm. 
um, high quality instruction and then communication. So I see opportunities in all those areas. Um, I, I also wonder about what, um, after engaging with our team, where are some other areas? And I think the clearer we can get through our strategic planning about what we intend to accomplish each year and how and who and when, the clearer it gets and what are those measurable outcomes. I think that would be an approach I would bring to this position to help move our district forward and, and work with our leaders who do phenomenal work. Um, but certainly I see an opportunity there to, to, to get more clearer on, on some of those pieces, so. Thank you. Hi, Mr. Jagir, glad you're here. Um, I've enjoyed working with you over the last couple of years and am uh, feeling lucky that you're a candidate for this position. Oh, thank here. you. Um, as you know, the schools don't exist in a vacuum and we are part of the town. So how would you work with local municipal off officials to generate support and trust for the schools? Once again, I think being having a very clear plan and, and really well-defined goals for the work that we intend to do and plan to do um, is one area. Um, making sure we have lines of communication that are open, not just with uh, the town's officials, but our town and our community. Um, our communication goal um, is due to, to receive a revamp at a very basic level. Um, I think the communication piece is probably this, an area where we can leverage um, a lot of support if it's done well. I think we need to control our own narrative on what great things are happening within this community and, and in our schools. And there's opportunity there um, to look at everything from very basic, um, the website, which I'm sharing in an interview, like that sounds very basic, but I do think how, how usable that is. And also um, our frequency of what we're communicating and, and what's happening within our buildings and schools. I think giving people that consistent, predictable uh, information and, and possibly look, I don't have all the answers, but look at innovative ways to communicate with families so they see the great work that's happening. I think positions as well as a district and really helps us um, have a narrative out there that we are proud of and that we want people to see um, that's out there. Also community relations, I've, I've done a lot of work through um, the different community-based groups that we have. Um, I'm, I'm on the Substance Abuse Task Force, as you know, um, and our School Wellness Advisory Council, bless you. I see opportunities to develop others that are authentic to address some other needs that we potentially have um, and, and maybe look at our goals and look at how can we engage our community in those ways. Um, I'm really proud of the work that we do in those groups as well. And we talk about that each meeting, but um, certainly uh, those are some, some ways. I think leveraging those partnerships is very important, particularly um, in this role. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, hi, Mr. Greer. Uh, th yeah, thank you for uh, you know, interviewing for this. Um, and thank you for your service also. What would be your goals for your, the first 180 days? Mm. Great question. I think actually the, uh, a parent asked a similar question at the parent night, and I said actually the first 180 days, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in the district where the transition planning, regardless of my position for the future, is already beginning. We're already thinking about next year. So um, that's what I would say is our planning schedule, we're actually in the process, and one of our goals is to back up that process and engage our principals in some of the district overarching goals sooner um, in the spring and then by the time school ends have have more clarity and help our principals so that they are, they know um, and they're part of the process for how we structure our goals for the year and then it gives them the summer 
to be working on those school-based goals. So um, that planning's already happening. Um, I'm fortunate to um, have worked in this community, but certainly I think as uh, if I was selected and taking on the role of superintendent, I would want to re, um, re, re, re acclimate or work with our principals um, through this role and really start to schedule out like I'm coming from a different lens now I have a different responsibility as a leader and I think um, when you approach the job I'd want to be visiting with the lens of a superintendent and a leader because I think they're different than what my assistant superintendent role entailed and I wouldn't want to make assumptions that that it's the same so I think there's work and I think I'd be looking at things um, differently and wanting to meet with our principals um, to walk through our schools um, from that lens and be a part the other piece I really am interested to do is look for ways to leverage student voice and develop some student groups um, that work um, at each of our levels um, and try to do that in an authentic way that is um, connected I know through uh, the school wellness advisory council having students consistently on those boards or on that council and in the substance abuse task force having students it's you develop a different relationship than you will if you just walk a hall and meet kids or if you just have a focus group those all have an intention and a purpose to them and should occur but I think that third leg is an area I'm interested to learn more about and how we can make that happen authentically and maybe um, wrap it around some shared goals similarly to how we do things with wellness and with substance abuse um, prevention, so. All right. Um, we'll take a drink of water now. Thank you. <laughs> um, special education is a particular challenge because of the complexity of the rules, service needs, and student and parent concerns. When you assess the effectiveness of our special education programs, what are some of the criteria you use? So there's a few things. So when we, special education and student services in general is a very large, um, makes up a, a, a large frame of, of what I'm thinking about. An area that I rely on is we're fortunate to have some really strong leadership in the special education department. I know she might be behind my left shoulder, but um, I, I think we're, we're advantaged by having some strong leadership paired with um, a real commitment to um, the external reviews and audits that take place where we get some tremendous feedback in a variety of areas. But for, this, for the example of this, the CPR review, a coordinated program review where um, we reveal, it often will reveal some feedback in areas where we can improve. Um, uh, Mrs. Morano and her team take that very seriously. I think as superintendent, um, you need to be super involved. We've been fortunate, and Dr. Hearn's been involved in supporting these efforts and supporting that, and I think that's something that um, the, the community and um, our staff could expect of, um, if, of me if I was in that role. So I think um, some external um, validation and internally we have so many um, professionals and the community we have a CPAC we have um, parents who, um, who come in daily um, to meet with our families and support in support of our students I draw I go back to that original um, experience I had in education as a one-to-one -one, and I think back to the parent uh, partnership that was developed to support that student I've seen so many partnerships develop in my time here when I taught when I was an AP or uh, or a principal in another district, 
Uh, they're just they're just important roles. So the, those are areas. So we don't just rely on compliance um, reviews to find out what we need to do better. That's an iterative process as well, and I think it's one that we take seriously. People often talk about um, Franklin and the special education. Um, I know that space with our um, programs is something that we're continuing to look at as well. We're fortunate to keep so many of our students. I go back to my that why and have our kids walk through those doors, and we're fortunate. And I think the, um, we we need to continue to to continue to, to to really look at that work and reflect on how can we best support students and what types of um, what types of resources and supports do we need to move forward? And I think we're uh, we would continue that work. Thank you very much. Um, all right. So just being cognizant of the time. All right. So 5:35. All right. So everyone, take a drink. Take a deep breath. You have um, drinks for us. <laughs> and we'll start with the second round of questions. Um, we have plenty of time before the town council meeting starts. So Camille, if you wanted to start us off. Sure. So my first question was about uh, challenges in Franklin. And my second question is, what are three opportunities in Franklin and how will you maximize them? So I think coming, entering this role, um, I, I feel advantaged by kind of knowing a little more than I might if I wasn't. And uh, I see tremendous opportunity at all of our levels. Um, an opportunity we're currently engaged in, and it was referenced briefly before, was really trying to look at partnering um, with um, a, a colleges. I won't use the college right now, but um, around concurrent enrollment, or it's called early enrollment. Um, there's an opportunity there for students in our buildings to take classes. We have AP. It wouldn't go away. It wouldn't be impacted. But the opportunity to have students enroll in uh, college coursework uh, at, but taught by our Franklin teachers and submitted and continue to build and, and get some of those college credits prior to graduating. Um, when done well and rolled out strategically with a plan, and um, with uh, teacher buy-in and really to move that um, it can be really successful. So that's one area of an opportunity. I also see opportunity for us to really look at our programming as we move forward. Um, I know that, um, as we talked about, obviously, trying to make sure that we're fiscal stewards. So not every opportunity costs money, but certainly looking at ways in which we can infuse um, different programs, like financial literacy, as I mentioned earlier. Um, that's an area where, I've, if I had only known about compound interest as a young Marine, I would have, you know, I probably would have made some better decisions along the way, um, but I learned it pretty quick. So I think there are opportunities there as we continue to look, um, look ahead. Um, also, we currently, uh, at each of our schools, are advantaged by having some really strong leadership and um, innovative programming of how we work with, kid, with, work with our, our leaders to provide students with opportunities uh, within the classroom. I think about plans to, to move forward with um, some potential advisory models that could move forward um, would be um, an advantage to our kids but also our community as well. And um, I think as we start to look at space, I don't have the answer to it, but I would want you all to know that opportunity in anything we do, um, I, I would consider myself someone who tries to look for opportunity, even through um, challenges or with information that we're kind of mulling over is, you know, where can there be opportunities to, to continue to grow in ways um, that help all of our kids? Thank you. 
You're welcome. According to the Department of Education, one in five students report being bullied at school. How do you view the role of the superintendent as it relates to reducing instances of bullying within our community? So a few things. One, um, we just recently received uh, the preliminary data from the Metro West Health Survey, um, which is a survey that all of our students take um, every two years. And th due to the pandemic, it was disrupted. So they took it and we received, they took it in the fall, this fall, and we received it. And um, a similar question came up from a parent in the parent night, and it was a great one around bullying is, has increased and what are we doing about it? And uh, it was a great question. And I actually had, based on some of the, the narrative and some of the information I had, I had a similar thought. Um, the data from, from 7th and 8th and through 9 through 12, which are the students that take that survey, it basically asked three questions related to bullying. The first one is um, the instances in which you've been bullied over the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. The second one is were you bullied on school property? And the third is were you cyberbullied? And um, the first question, which talked about have you been bullied in the last 12 months, it was within 2% of the 2018 data, which was interesting. The cyberbullying data, we've seen an increase um, up 6%. So that's, that's an area where I, I would see concern. And um, our on-school um, leveled out, so the, the, same, the same percentage from, from three years ago. Um, we, I think I mentioned our advisory, but I think um, the work we do, and I think this is part of the strategic planning on training our staff, training uh, with our admin. We have a brand new bullying policy, as you know. We recently, um, at our staff meeting, our admin meeting last week on Monday, we really spent time and, and um, processed the new policy and all the new changes with every principal and assistant principal during our administrative team meeting. We started there as a starting point so that the next stage um, we can work with our staff to get them trained and then move into helping training our students. Um, and when I say train, I mean educate. And it can't just be a review of the definitions of bullying, but um, the plan, I had a meeting this morning with our middle school admin who plan to um, roll out more information during one of their May staff meetings and then have a plan over the next nine weeks after we get back from break to look at how they can um, continue to work with students through scenario-based um, topics and really look at, we purchased the um, second step SEL curriculum, which has uh, modules on bullying, harassment, um, to really try to work with our students. What I've learned over time is if you don't prepare and train and give staff time to process, it's really hard to implement um, with kids with fidelity in an, in an effective way. And um, it's certainly an area that we want to continue to grow and be better at. Um, but those are some of the plans. And then next year, we also um, are look, we, we have a program where um, our staff will be trained um, using uh, a platform. Um, we used to do, we have a Google Classroom. Staff can go in, can read the policies. We do a lot of work with new hires. They talk about it during a staff meeting, but there's actually some tra a training platform that's really Massachusetts-based that looks at all of the harassment um, regulations and bullying, and we're looking to roll that out for staff so that they can have a better understanding, and it's a better tool. It's video-based, and there's some, really str there's some strengths to that. So I think our whole system, and uh, I would want to emphasize that our systems we're currently looking at as a team and how we can continue to build those up and create um, systems that lead to better work. Final point, 
um, when I think about seventh and eighth and that data, the work needs to start younger so that as kids develop and move through our system, and I, I think that would relate to any topic really, um, if we think about learning, um, but I don't think when I see, when I talk to the principal at the high school and, and, and he talks about some of his goals for his schools and expectations for his students, um, I often will say, you know, because he, he carries it and I want the, you know, I want to continue to do better by our kids and I say, you know, this is a system-wide thing where we need to do um, our best at the elementary and middle so that as they arrive, they're, um, you know, that work starts early, earlier and younger, so. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, so my second question is really around staffing. Um, so what we mean, we all hear about the great resignation in the in all industries. People right. are moving and there's a lot of shift. Um, we've, in the past, I'd say, what, three months, we've seen a lot of movement in Franklin in terms of the leaders as well. Um, what is your plan to retain and attract educators and admin staff? So I've heard a lot about the great resignation, too, and there's certainly components of movement. There's certainly movement around um, the districts that, that I'm familiar with. Um, I don't know if we've seen the level that I would, because uh, I had a similar prediction around that. I haven't seen from my perspective and my seat that I currently have in the district um, a, a great, like the resignation that I'm hearing about for the district. But with that said, I think the, the how we recruit, recruiting staff, um, retaining staff looks a few different ways. You know, we're currently um, really trying our best. We led through the pandemic, and I think our teachers did a phenomenal job um, really working with us. And I think about our leadership and how we were able to lead through there. It's clear people are uh, certainly stressed, and teachers are stressed, and families, and and um, we. I don't have a magic pill for burnout, um, and that came up uh, some at, at somewhere else. But I do think the clearer we get around what our goals are, what we are doing, and what we're prioritizing, and also what we're not doing. I hear a lot from teachers around wanting to be clear on the goals that we focus on and try to really build out a plan that's predictable, uses up, so if we have goals around tier one um, instruction, curriculum review, um, and DEI work, if we're thinking and we're planful about when those initiatives are going to take place, how they'll be supported, what are the outcomes and the goals, and it's really focused work. Um, I've heard, you know, I've, 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 I've experienced in my own leadership when that's predictable for teachers and they know what to expect through the fall, through the spring, and it's, and it's clear on the rationale for why we're doing what we're doing and how we're going to do it. That alone, I experienced that as a principal, um, can really create a little more of a less frenetic environment where it's been a lot of frenetic. Uh, it's been frenetic leadership through the COVID pandemic because the rules kept changing mm -hmm. and it kept. So I think people are looking for more stability and I think that's a way that you retain, um, you retain staff. And also I think relationships, when I think about leadership in general, um, in the military you have ranks and that leads to authority and education Leadership just means more responsibility to people. Is really what it comes down to. It's about people that you're working with and you're leading. And um, I think there's a huge distinction there. So that's not a parallel for the for the Marines always. Even though you know, in the military you care about your people. I just think there's a rank structure that ensures that. 
um, I think if you don't earn the respect of um, folks in other types of organizations, um, it's really hard to, to move things forward. So um, that would be that would be my answer to that. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. What are things that surrounding school districts are doing that we are not and could serve as growth models for Franklin? And what are ways we could implement those things here? So I, it's a very good question, Dave. We have a, we have a goal, um, and I, we have a few DLIs um, in the crowd, but uh, we've had a goal where uh, for example, I'll use Medfield, where they do a Design Your Learning Day. They open it up to the public, uh, um, to other districts, to provide um, a PD opportunity where people can, you can tuition in and pay for a seat to go. Um, I've seen uh, Menden Upton has done this and a few other districts. We've had a long-term goal around, we, we really held a successful uh, um, build your own um, curriculum PD day um, and really got some positive feedback from staff around that um, we look to implement pieces of that as well and move forward um, through our PD model um, but I think that's an opportunity that other districts do that where I see uh, a benefit for us they also allow teachers from other districts to participate and facilitate lessons so I feel like the learning that can take place not just internally but from others um, is an area where that's just one example um, I can speak from my own experience, and I'm not suggesting this because I don't want to get any <laughs> teachers scared, um, but I've seen some benefit to um, analyzing the high school schedule and looking for opportunities there. So I'm not suggesting, Franklin High teachers, that we change your schedule um, on the first day of school next year, but um, I think it's been an ongoing discussion. When I was an AP and I was the person who did the scheduling and Aspen, um, we were limited and restricted by um, the the composition of our staff and we were just at those at that time was really trying to make sure that we could offer us one and not have 30 kids in it right um, we've constantly been battling these things i think we've been restricted in ways and there's a lot of great people with great ideas on how we can improve the system beyond me um, but we've been um you know we've been we've we you know you've heard this expression where we've really made some really um positive things happen um, with schedule, but it's come at a really creative uh, cost to try to make that happen. And I wonder about um, if we had the ability, could we look at our schedule and look for opportunities to build in more programming? I think about that example I gave of financial literacy and where it for all kids and how that could fit. We, we talked about advisory and how that might look. Um, concurrent enrollment's another area. We're fortunate to have a, a senior project, which is phenomenal, and if you, haven't signed up, but you, or if you're available um, to be a judge um, for the senior project that will happen in the spring, it's phenomenal, and the work that happens, and talk about an opportunity for kids to experience the real world. So I'm proud of those opportunities, um, but certainly I recognize that um, other districts have other ways in which they approach the job that we're fortunate to be networked, um, each of us in our respective roles, and share ideas, and um, would, look to, would like to bring um, ideas that are successful would work for us um, back to the district as well, but that would be one example. Thank you. All right, so this question's about school culture. It's a three-parter. Okay. So um, the first part is what attributes of school culture are important to you? The second part, looking back, how have you improved school culture 
to reflect these attributes? And then looking forward, how might you ensure that positive culture is prevalent in every school in Franklin? Great questions. Okay. No softballs for you. No. Um, my my leader, my like personal core values are respect, trust, and accountability are the three, and compassion, um, really are are the four things that I try to to live by. Um, those are some attributes. I think you know. I think you build trust through um, accountability and really working with people, but trying to be. I, I learned uh, through a, a mentor around being hard on the problem, but kind of easier on the people um, when when it, when that's the case. And I've tried to kind of look at that on how can we can we be honest with each other and, and really try to confront things in a way that is dignified and really try to work through to get to solutions. So there's, there's that component. Um, I feel as though relationships and listening and feeling heard, um, feedback I receive is, you know, whether I wanted to hear it or not, I really try to do my best to, to listen to what people are facing and, 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 and try to look at ways in which we can work together to really approach things from a solution-oriented um, perspective. Um, I think that helps build a culture that is positive. I will say you can't have positive culture just for the sake of positivity. It has to be anchored in clear goals that are shared. And you have to have something to work towards if you're going to really have it. You can't have culture for the sake of culture. I think that's, that's actually a, um, can, can be a real downfall of a leader if they're not clear on what their goals are and what they want to all accomplish. Um, you often hear about sometimes if there's goals but they're not consistently followed and that can actually erode um, culture in a building. You know, conversely, if, you, um, if um, only a few folks are doing it and um, they feel like they're the only ones kind of moving, moving the work forward. So um, I feel fortunate to be on the teams I've been involved with where there's tremendous accountability to one another and um, I think that's, that's an area. The third part, positive culture, I think we have to look for opportunities. You know, we talk, um, uh, we've talked about setting goals around social emotional learning for students and staff as one of our district goals. And there's no magic pill, and I, I'm not into gimmicks as far as like a gimmicky kind of approach to that. But being authentic around treating um, our staff, you know, as professionals and looking for opportunities to to work with them and reward them where appropriate. And when I say staff, I mean our leaders, our teachers, and um, an example of that would be when we held our PD day and we built in time for them to collaborate with each other as professionals. That is a very basic example, but I, I was really surprised at the positive feedback from the surveys and the emails around, hey, you didn't just, we did, not me, but we didn't just structure a day that had all learning. Like you wouldn't do this to a kid, right? All learning, 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 learning. Okay, good, boom, have a good day. Uh, building in time to learn a concept and then actually meet with people who share a course, share a grade, and say, okay, how does this look for us? And chunk it. That, that one, that's one example of like feeling, I, uh, one, one person wrote like they felt like they were treated like professionals and were given that opportunity and didn't feel like we were over their shoulder maybe necessarily. So um, that was, you know, born from the team and really trying to develop 
our educators, but provide time for them to collaborate as well. And I think that would be one example if I had one to, to share. So. Mm -hmm. Thanks. It created a positive moment in that particular piece, mm -hmm. and I'm sure if uh, you have enough of those moments and positive, similar with communication with the community, if you have enough positive inputs and people kind of get a sense, it's, um, it certainly can have a, a larger effect. It's not always about the one big thing you do, but it's what you do consistently over time and daily to make people feel valued and appreciate the work that they do and provide the support people need to do the best job they can. A three-part question for you. Um, what have you done to prepare yourself for the superintendency? What are the strengths that you bring to the position? And what would be your personal professional development plan were you to become the superintendent? Megan's strengths... The last one was personal development um, and professional development plan. What was the uh, second piece? Uh, the second one is uh, st yeah, strengths that you bring to the position. Okay. And the third is uh, yeah, personal development, personal and professional okay. development. So I, as I mentioned earlier, I think my, one of my strengths is around um, developing um, relationships with the folks that I work with. And um, that comes from... I think just a leadership style and a personal style that I've developed over time, trying to respect people's position and uh, really trying to support people. So I think relationships is one of the areas. The other piece is I, I'm a strategic thinker. Um, an area where I would approach this position would really be to be thinking strategically around our goals. I feel as though the clearer we are with what we're doing, who's doing it, when it's happening, and how it's going to get done, I feel like has always served me well in my leadership style. In the um, principal forum I had, there was, there was a bit of a, I could tell some smiles around how I communicate. There's oftentimes we'll all write like, this is the context, here's going on, three things you need to know, or three. So I just feel like the clearer we get and really cut, really getting clear on what needs to happen or what they should be considering and then um, developing plans that are real and authentic, I think it also allows us to prioritize work and not feel, because often it can feel like everybody's work is a priority. And um, someone used this example uh, with me around we're constantly juggling balls in the air, and some are made of glass. And how do you keep them? The trick is I've added a layer to this. Every person thinks their ball is glass. So um, some are rubber, some are glass. So how do we um, really keep all the balls in the air and I think the clearer we get with what we hope to accomplish in a year and how and things can be multi-year and we can start to project out what things will be accomplished in DEI um, curriculum work you know the pandemics certainly um, shown us and through the map data um, areas in which our students uh, will need continued support our curriculum leadership team um, is really working hard to uh, put plans together that are authentic and real around uh, bolstering our tier one curriculum. Um, review cycles, um, that's an area where we see um, tremendous opportunity and I think we've mentioned this before, but that should continue around a multi-year um, plan to review curriculum. If you're an elementary teacher and every year you're, you're in the midst, you teach multiple subjects, 
that's a difficult task, but if we can start to chart out and create more long-term plans around that with predictability and what's to be accomplished in year one, two, and three of a curriculum review, mm -hmm. it becomes more manageable. And I think that freneticness, if I've learned anything in my life, um, the less frenetic I think about my uh, home life when we're going to piano and this and this and this, um, the clearer your plan is, you know, keeping your house in order, the better, um, the better off you are. So um, that was that piece. And then professionally, I think there's pieces of the job when you take any role, there's things you don't know. And I don't pretend to know every component of a superintendency, but my commitment to this town and to you as a school committee and to our constituents and most importantly our students, I'm really committed to uh, doing this job if I was um, selected, doing it um, to the best of my ability with honesty and integrity and transparency and really looking for ways in which I would continue to grow. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that, uh, like I could master that position in a year, but I'm certainly um, committed to continuing to grow. Thank you. You're welcome. OK. Um, what is your philosophy on delegating authority? How do you then maintain accountability? So this ties into a little bit of an uh, answer I gave earlier. Um, I think you have to trust the people you work with to do the job. Um, and accountability, I think, once again, the clearer we are with who's doing what, I think that really helps clarify that and eliminate that. I think in order f to delegate, you have to believe and, and, and know that the person you're delegating a task to, this is like anything in education and life, and you have to have the confidence that they can do it. And you have to create a psychologically safe environment where people feel okay to come back to you and say, I know you've delegated this to me, but I really want a little more clarity, mm -hmm. if that was an example. Or how could I approach this? Because one thing that I learned from um, Dr. Hearn is she came from an assistant superintendent role, and she said the one thing I would mention to you is, um, as you continue, I had taken an aspiring superintendent's course two years ago um, as part of preparation for that eventual opportunity. Um, I took the assistant superintendent's learning seminar as well for the three years that, um, that they offer it. And uh, you, in an assistant superintendency, a principalship, a directorship, you often have more specialized focus. Mm -hmm. And as a superintendent, you really have to have your eye and hand on all of it. You just can't go into the depth that you may be accustomed to. So I think that would be a huge shift for me. Um, I can, let me know if anyone's smiling behind me. I can get into the weeds on some things that, um, <laughs> that I think uh, bandwidth wise wouldn't be possible. And I think you have to trust and be super clear and honest about how, you're, how you see that playing out and what type of feedback along the way and building in opportunities for check-in um, when you delegate authority. Um, are huge. And once again, the relationships. The, the safer you've created an environment, you don't have to agree on everything, but certainly the safer the environment, the, uh, the more opportunity there is for um, discussion about what's the best plan. And I don't necessarily um, believe that I have the best solution to every single thing um, that's happening in the district, but certainly um, that's how I would frame, frame that work. Thank you. Welcome. Um, so now I just wanted to give everyone an opportunity if you have any follow-up questions or comments. This is the time. So Camille, if you had any follow-up questions. Is this follow-up questions? For anything that, that he might have answered, you might have a question. But it's not discussing. No. 
Okay. No, then I don't have any right now. Okay. Dave? No, thank you. None, thank you. Um, I, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of the growth mindset initiative and philosophy, and so it's so good to hear so many of your answers included that, you know, willingness to grow, curiosity, eagerness to grow, you know, looking towards uh, role models and those types of things, um, and also keeping keeping your eye on these last couple years because this has been a career goal for you um, for some time now. So, sort of paying attention um, and looking at at that role and taking the courses to sort of like ready yourself when the time is right. Um, so, so as a new superintendent, um, I believe through MASS there's, a, is it a mentorship program or a new institute? There's, there's, a, there's definitely a mentorship program right. offered. And I, I would have to check, but I think they, they, they have an annual institute, uh, professional mm -hmm. development opportunity, but certainly there's a mentorship opportunity. And I know that um, new superintendents um, also are cohorted I believe, for just professional learning. Gotcha. Um, so I think that's an important piece for anybody coming right. into the any job new right. is really um, having that support network of other people who have done it before. Right. And you know, being a superintendent in a district, you're isolated. You're the only right. one in the district. And so having that network um, of colleagues that, and I know Dr. Hearn had sort of explained to us over COVID, they they got really close because they were they were making these massive, sometimes right. life or death decisions, split seconds that affected hundreds, right. thousands of people, and um, nobody was happy. And so I think that she, she seemed like there was a lot of, like, a lot of comfort in that, not, not feeling alone and working together and um, sort of working through those decisions together in a position that really is very isolated, right. typically. And so I think that's something that um, probably moving forward, superintendents will be more communicative with each other, possibly, because of COVID, um, but also getting getting into an institute or a mentorship program or something I think would be important for anybody taking on this role to really, um, there's going to be so much to learn in sure. coming from all angles and this would really add some structure and as you've said a lot about clear goals probably help sort of give an objective um, goal setting, you know, objective perspectives on some things that um, might seem a little bit less less clear when you're working in the moment of it. So I think that's definitely something that we'd be um, looking for. Yeah. And if I, if I was um, selected, you know, I would certainly take advantage of those opportunities. And um, um, I think there's tremendous value in, in mentorship in general, mm -hmm. um, but certainly um, the quality of the MASS, which is the Massachusetts Association of School Superintendents, and the folks that work uh, are retired superintendents. Um, who've done tremendous work over their careers. They offer um, a lot of support. So um, I've been fortunate through the assistant superintendent coursework over the three years to meet a lot of those mentors already. And um, I, you know, if, if selected or appointed, I would certainly continue to want to grow in areas that um, folks could help me um, in, for sure. Yes. And I, I expected that answer because really you you embedded it within your sort of the story of how you got here, starting from you know your career in the Marines and um, talking about growth mindset all through those roles, talking about you know looking towards mentors and um, really the relationship based piece. And so um, I just wanted to to say it out there explicitly. Thanks. Thanks. I just wanted to say I really liked the, the reference to uh, you know respecting your 
colleagues and staff and the you know clear communications. I think those are very important. Thank, Thank you. you. I just had a follow-up question sure. um, to a question that Elise had asked um, about the working with local municipal officials. You had mentioned revamping the district's communication efforts. I was wondering what you, what suggestions you might have. I know that we hear on the school committee that there's too much email, but also not enough email. So I'm just wondering what ideas you might have. So I would, I think it's an opportunity to take a step back and not assume everything we're doing is working and adding more. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a perfect example of what types of things are we communicating and how, and what do people need in an email that's important that they get. It's a sign up. It's a date that you need them to, you need to, con there's certain information that you want to make sure people have in an inbox and it sits there. And then there's other, um, there's legs to this. What do I need that's more static that I should be able to go to the website and very easily find information about? And that might mean adding information that's more forward-facing. I'm thinking specifically about some of our um, student procedures. As we develop our bullying intervention plan, um, which is um, now incorporated the new policy language, those pieces need to be readily available so people can see kind of what's happening. Separate leg is how are we leveraging social media? Um, our families use it. We held a social media night about um, how, how that's communicated. But I think there are, there are information. These are those positive deposits that it's not required that they read them. It's not necessary that it's email. But how can we help ourselves? Um, and I think I'd have to start modeling that because I mentioned in, in one of the groups, if I'm only sending stuff out about the TikTok challenge, then I'm known as the TikTok challenge person. <laughs> and it's the scary stuff and it's the, you know, um, huggy-wuggy and whatever else. And I feel like there has, has to be opportunities to... Um, to, to put positive deposits and start to say, a parent um, uh, made a suggestion in, in the parent forum around, I think um, having um, older kids in elementary mentor younger kids would be important. And then another parent who happened to work in the district said, oh, well, I have an example of that. And in the meeting talked about our fifth graders walk our kindergartners out to the bus. And I think I, if you asked any elementary school, those exist, but it's clear. It was, to me, it was a communication issue, not a practice issue. Mm -hmm. And I wonder about um, what we can do to help ourselves in that particular area. The final piece is just um, the goals and being transparent around how we're kind of moving the work forward. And, and that's more about just what do we intend to accomplish this year in these areas and how. And maybe not the, the, the complete detail of like what PD is happening on this day, but really clear about what we hope to accomplish by the end of a year in these particular areas and start to frame things out in multiple years, I think is an area too where it could take, um, keep us focused so people know kind of what we're working on. So that would be just uh, just a few examples, but I'm sure there are others that um, I haven't referenced. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, so I just wanted to give you this opportunity before we wrap things up, if there was anything that we didn't touch upon that you maybe wanted to speak to. I just would want to impress upon uh, everyone who's watching and folks here and um, you as a committee that, um, you know, as someone who's been in the assistant superintendent role and worked through to develop some of the goals we have, um, I'm also, I also recognize that we are primed and we may need to change direction on a few things. Um, I 
consider myself a reflective leader, mm -hmm. and um, I just want it to be known that I'm someone who I'm paying attention, and I want to make sure that whatever we're working towards, you know, is cognizant of the group. And ultimately, a superintendent has to make decisions to move things forward. But certainly, um, I just would want it known that um, I reflect on what direction we need to move, and um, it's constantly in my mind on how we can get there and how to support. And We have a, phen a phenomenal team of people who work in Franklin who are super dedicated, and um, I'm committed to this town. I'm committed to this work, and I would welcome the opportunity to continue to lead in this, in this district, and I just want to thank you all for considering me um, and, and, and allowing me to come tonight to answer some of these questions. Thank you very much, Mr. Chikir. Um, so thank you everyone very much for coming out tonight in person and viewing at home. Community engagement is very important and your participation is appreciated. Again, thank you everyone who attended the April 7th meet and greet sessions, those who have sent in their thoughts and responded to the surveys. Um, in terms of next steps, at our April 26th meeting, the school committee will deliberate in public and we'll go forward with a vote on the candidate. Um, I encourage the community to continue to stay tuned and informed, and we will continue to update everyone throughout the public process. So at this time, being 6.10, I would um, entertain a motion to adjourn. So moved. Is there a second? Second. All right. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? All right. Thank you very much, everyone. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tin Type Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.